Boy, this has been exciting tonight. Uh, he told me the Philadelphia <clears throat> Children's Choir was going to be here tonight, and there's no way I could prepare for that. I took your picture, by the way. Maybe I ought to get signed off, but I'm going to put you on Twitter and tell everybody how good you was. You'll get a big meeting now, huh? <clears throat> Bless my heart tonight. I, I'm so thankful and grateful I got to come on tonight. And uh, all the singing, that last song, God is good. <clears throat> that tore me up, brother. I don't know where you're at. Tore me up. I uh, have written in the front of my Bible that God has big plans for us and um, we ought to dream big. And uh, they're God's plans bigger than our dreams. Dream big. That's what it was. And uh, I, uh, I never believed that this West Virginia boy would be allowed to do what I'm allowed to do every day. And I appreciate it so much. I was just with your preacher a few months ago in a preacher's meeting and, <clears throat> and just enjoyed so much the fellowship. And I remember, I remember what I preached when I came down here in 2001. I usually don't, but I did. I remember where the church was. And uh, so I, I haven't lost everything. I am getting a little older. <clears throat> your pastor is a wonderful person. He just, has, he just has the best personality. I like to be around kind preachers that still let it rip as well. <clears throat> and... Uh, he is that kind. We're looking forward to working together for Southwide, too. And he was in part of one of the meetings the other day. I think Brother Rushing came in there a while ago. Where are you at, Brother Rushing? There you are. God bless you. Welcome to Tennessee. We're glad you're here. And, well, we're in Georgia now, aren't we? I'll tell you what. I, I, have, I wake every, up every morning. The first thing I see is, am, am I alive? Next thing is, where am I? That's, I was in Kentucky last night. I'm in Georgia tonight. <clears throat> I hope I'm in Tennessee tomorrow night. <laughs> and... That's my plan. So, thank, thankful to have my wife with me tonight. We've been married with Mary for 40 years uh, next, uh, next June. And uh, she was my, my uh, high school sweetheart. And so thankful. And since I was with you last, I'm a grandpa now. And I figured this out. that God gives you grandkids just about the time you're so stressed out you're getting ready to jump off a bridge somewhere. God sends you grandkids. We have two. Braxton and Baylor. Baylor will be one next month, so we're planning to kill the fatty calf and string the lights up in the pines. We're going to have a big time there. Braxton's not, he's just, just uh, he's two, but he's been walking and talking since he was nine months. And, and he's talking paragraphs now. And he's a Pawpaw's boy, and he'll tell anybody that. He kind of threw me for a loop the other night. Uh, I drive a truck, my wife drives a sedan, and we keep the car seat in her car. And uh, so we're going to bring... Uh, Braxton with us to church. I think that's where we we're. We're going somewhere. We're over to the church. And uh, I came out and I was going to get in the car and drive. And so I buckled him up in his seat in the back. And uh, I said, Now, Papa's going to go around and get in the car and drive. He said, No, no, Paul. I said, What? He said, You hit cars. <clears throat> I said, What'd you say? He said, No, no, Papa. Nana drive. You hit cars. I said, Son, I don't hit cars. Yes, you, you hit cars. I said, have you ever seen me hit a car? Papa, Nana's driving, you not driving, you hit cars. Uh, anyway, the day went on, I was so hurt by that. I thought, why in the world? I never hit a car with that boy in there. And I got to thinking, coming down here and all that Chattanooga traffic and coming down here, she said, two, three, you're going to hit that car. You're going to hit that car. <laughs> I don't hit cars. But that boy thought I hit cars. And so, uh, anyhow, 
Let's stand together, please, reading God's Word again. Thank you, Philadelphia Choir, for being here. I'm, I'm honest, thrills my soul. You all pray for us there at Franklin Road. Seems like when, when we went there, my wife said, we got in that big old auditorium, and it was kind of empty, and she said, finally, we don't have to build any more buildings. We built two or three there in Ripley, a little town about 3,000, and, uh, and, and I was already dreaming when I got there. And we have been building, I think, ever since I've been there. Amen. We just broke ground on another $3.5 million educational facility, and... Uh, I'm going to go home and tell our kids at our school they need to sing like you. So I'm going to threaten them is what I'm going to do. And, uh, but anyway, uh, let's take a look at chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Should have had Isaiah chapter 6, a familiar passage of Scripture, but I'm going to kind of pluck an idea out of a verse here in just a while. Isaiah chapter 6. Now I want you to know that, that I've been preaching for many years. I was raised in church. I was saved as a little boy six years old, brought up in independent Baptist churches. This was my life. I'm doing right now what I love to do, what I'm called to do. And, and just, it's part of my DNA. And, uh, but uh, I, I just see something lacking in our churches today that's, I don't know if I see much of it lacking here tonight, but I see it lacking in our churches. How many believe we need a revival in America? You believe that? Amen. I want to kind of uh, draw on a thought tonight. I'll begin reading verse number one, Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. Twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Now, I may not say much about this later. Everybody wants to worship God, sit down and do nothing for God. Even the seraphims have better sense than that. Yeah, they covered their face and they covered their, their feet, but they had two other wings that they flew around, and they did the bidding of God. Amen. Don't ever forget that. And so one cried unto the other, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Uh, the whole earth is full of His glory. And boy, it is. I thought about that eclipse the other day. Now, they showed a picture of the trajectory where it came, started over uh, America. There's somewhere around Washington, Oregon, and came down through the epicenter. was Hopkinsville, Kentucky, of all places. We were right on the edge of that. And they just showed the trajectory of that thing going down through there. They've known for years what time we would see the, the total eclipse in our area. I, I Googled mine up. And they said at 128, right where I was at on my GPS, at 128 point whatever, 29 seconds, would be total eclipse. And, and, and it was, too, by the way. And by the way, I didn't burn my eyes out. Any of y'all burn your eyes out? I remember looking at the eclipse in 1991 through the hole in a paper plate, and I never burned my eyes out. <laughs> anyway, by the way, back then, though, we rode in the back of pickup trucks and drank out of a garden hose, and I've never wore a bicycle helmet in my life, let alone a car seat. Moving right along. Uh, but I, I thought about that. I thought about how if, if, if those scientists knew 10 years ago, how many believe we serve a big enough God? He knew a long time before that. God has your whole life planned out. I don't know how I got off on that. But anyway, so earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, I like this, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he said, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. My text is found in verse number 8. I don't know if you do this or not by habit. But I'd like you to read with me verse 8 together in unison. Let's see if we can do that. Let's read it. If everybody got a King James Bible, we'll be okay. Let's read it together in unison. Ready? Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, 
and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I like that. I want to speak on this subject tonight, the missing element in our churches today. The missing element in our churches today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We believe it is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is preserved. We believe that this book we just read can speak to us tonight. I pray your Holy Spirit will aid that. He wrote it. He moved men to write it and pen it. And I pray he'll work tonight. Lord, please loose my tongue. Dear God, I ask you, let me be a blessing. Already we've been blessed. I pray you will bless us from thy word through the preaching of the gospel. That we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I'd like to take just a minute and read a little portion of history I read years ago. In 1899, Andrew Murray, who was then a missionary in South Africa, I'm sure you've read about that guy, and uh, he had received a letter from D.L. Moody, who was a great American evangelist and pastor. And Moody was inviting Murray to come and preach in a national missions conference in New York City the following April in 1900. Mr. Moody debated about, excuse me, Mr. Murray debated about going so far and wondered if he really had anything new to say about reaching the loss of the world. He wrote Moody back and he asked him to send him the minutes and all the sermon manuscripts from the previous conference, which, by the way, back in those days, uh, whenever, before they had uh, recording, the ability to record and, and all of that, they had stenographers. Uh, that would, uh, they would write down the manuscripts of word for word what the preacher would say. He took shorthand and all of that. And then there were people that would take minutes and they would tell how many people were at the services, any notable people at the services, all the decisions that were recorded in the services. And they're all, I have a picture in my, uh, my prayer room there just before I go out in the pulpit. It's a picture of Billy Sunday. It's a famous uh, pencil sketch of Billy Sunday in a big meeting up in Philadelphia. The place is packed. And he's standing actually one foot on the platform and another foot on the communion table, and he's preaching like this. Around him, there are stenographers, and they, they're, they're pinning down word for word what he said. And so this was a common thing. So the missionary, Mr. Murray, wrote for those manuscripts and minutes, and Moody was more than happy to send them. Mr. Moody read, Murray read every word of those sermons and the minutes that, that were preached by some of the greatest men in history at that time. His summary was that the preachers of the previous conference had covered the material so well and had answered every question in his mind except one. He summarized that the church remains unrevived and the world is still lost, not because we don't have a plan of action, but because the church lacks heart. Murray said this to D.L. Moody of all things, and I quote, the enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing, because there is little enthusiasm for the king. Let me say that again. The enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing because there is little enthusiasm for the king. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you tonight, and I must be honest tonight, God's work goes undone because the church of the living God lacks heart. We lack passion. We lack enthusiasm. In our passage tonight, Isaiah got a glimpse of God. And he saw the work of God. And when he saw the work of God, he jumped up in verse number 8. He said, here I am, send me. It's like he was saying, here I am, God. 
You're looking at all these, all those people out there. Pick me, pick me. Here am I, send me. And I want you to know that Isaiah in this section, as he gives a brief biography of his call to preach, he got fired up because God so let him see the vision of the world. I thought about that, and I thought about how zeal and enthusiasm is found throughout the Bible, and uh, it's how God's work is accomplished. Let me just stop and say that God is sovereign, and God can do anything he wants to do, whether you're shouting or whispering, whether you're jumping up and down and walking a straight line. God can do anything he wants to do with whomever he wants to do. But let me just say tonight that it was common for God to use men of God and women of God that got fired up. I thought about the example of Moses as he came off the mountain after the Lord had given him the commandments written in stone. As he came off that mountain, he heard some strange music. By the way, you want to stay away from that strange music. Because the next thing he knows, they were dancing around. Strange music have a, has a habit of making your body do some things it shouldn't do. Amen. And he saw that. And he saw that they weren't dressed decently. Strange music have a way of making you dress immodestly as well. And he saw all that. And I'm talking about now the people of God. And he came off that mountain. He saw all that. And he jumped up and he said, hey. He drew a line on the ground. He said, who's on the Lord's side? And by the way, once you draw the line on the ground, you've got business to do. You better put up or shut up. And he had some job to do of cleaning the house of God. And I thought about Moses had the zeal of God. He had some enthusiasm. I thought about Joshua uh, when uh, he faced that new generation just before, before he went off the scene. He looked at him. He said, you choose you this day whom you'll serve. Ask for me in my house. We'll serve the Lord. Some of you daddies need to buck up and straighten up your back like a saw log and say, hey, I don't care what everybody's doing down the street. I don't care what they're doing over in that church youth group. And me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I think about Caleb who said in, at age 80, I want that mountain. That's not really how he said it. He said, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. I thought about he's old enough to have Social Security twice. I thought about Elijah. Uh, there uh, with the hundreds of the prophets of Baal, the Bible says, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal be God, follow him. And the people didn't answer him word. I'll tell you what, they were talking a lot after that fire came down. They looked up all that water. I thought about Elisha. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Boy, Elisha, he wanted to stick with Elijah, the man of God. And he kept saying, boy, he said, I, I said, uh, he said to Elijah, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. I was reading that again today before I left the hotel room, and I'm going to preach on that. A hard thing. Boy, it was a hard thing. You know, I, everybody wants to be like this guy. wants to be like, and, and Elijah said, you, you don't know what you're asking for, son. But he said this. He said, if you see me go up, he said, uh, I'll let the Lord take it from there. And so, uh, boy, he did. He stuck with him like glue. By the way, you know, I want you to say to some of you young men, it's a good thing to stick with the preacher. I'm kind of getting off track right there. I just thought I ought to say that. Don't know where it came from. But he stuck with the preacher. And as those horsemen came through and those chariots of fire came through and up the man of God went. By the way, how many of y'all believe that happened? Picture the rapture. And up the man of God went and down came the man of God and it fell on Elisha. I can just see it. I picture this stuff. he never done anything like this before. Elijah did all those miracles. Elisha was able to see a lot of them. He picked up that man of the Bible says he folded up just like Elijah did just a few hours before when they crossed the Jordan. 
rolled that thing up just like the man of God? I don't know about you, but I think he went like this. I think he went like that. He reared back and took that thing and smote the waters of Jordan and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the Bible says that water went one way, water went another way. I'm just saying that guy had the zeal of God. And the Bible says he did double the miracles of Elijah. I'm talking about enthusiasm. I'm talking about zeal. David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says this, as he said this, as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. I think about Jehu. I like this one right here. He was credited with slaying wicked Jezebel and all the sons of Ahab. Second Kings chapter 10, he uh, ran on a guy named Jonadab and uh, and he, he's, he drove his, the Bible says he drove his chariot like a wild man. And, uh, and uh, fast and furious. People's afraid to ride with him. And he walked up to Jonadab. I, I, I don't know if anybody ever caught this verse in there or not, but before I read the verse, in verse 16, he looked at him and he says, is your heart right with God? Good question to ask when you ride with some people. <laughs> my wife, she gets her heart right with God every time she gets in my car. But he said, uh, and he said, Come with me and see the zeal of the Lord. So he made him ride in his chariot. Heard a story the other day about a guy who had a hot car, had 400 and some horsepower, had a $50 bill taped to the dashboard. And the guy got in the car and he sat down his there. He said, uh, he said, what's that $50 bill in there? He said, tell you what. He said, you lay back in that seat. He said, when I take off, if you can reach that $50 bill, you can have it. <laughs> never touched it, never touch it. Boom, he took off. Uh, I mean, the zeal of the Lord. I don't know what that had to do with anything. Just one to step. <laughs> I think about Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. And he was sitting there and some boys came from the home place. Said, said Nehemiah, said the walls are torn down. The place is desolate. The house of God. He said, it's awful. There's no revival. Folks are moving out. It's terrible. And the Bible says he wept and fasted and tore his clothes. And he went to the king, the king uh, before the king to ask the king if he'd help me. And the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 5, he said, send me that I may build it. Ladies and gentlemen, we need some wall builders and we're not going to have wall builders and say so you get some old-fashioned enthusiasm. Amen. I'm going to settle down in a minute and preach. I just got to think all these illustrations. I think about Daniel who faced the hungry lions. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not bow, who would not bend, and they did not burn, praise God. I think about Paul, Philippians 13, 3, 13, he says this, Brother, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press for the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus, uh, God in Christ Jesus. I think about Peter on Pentecost who got fired up. I mean, I could go on and on and on. How about Jesus Christ who went inside the temple one day and saw the money changers start turning over the tables and th dumping out the money and chasing the animals out. And, and, and the people were reminded what they said about Messiah, that the zeal of thine house hath eaten him up. The widow who cast in two mites, I'm talking about zeal, I'm talking about enthusiasm. How do you obtain that kind of zeal? I want you to consider three things tonight, if you would, regarding Isaiah. I'm just saying the work of God can be done in many forms and fashions, but the way it moves forward is on the heels of passion and enthusiasm. There are preachers in here tonight, you know what it means when you're fired up and when you're not quite as fired up. You're still just as saved, amen? There are Christians in here that sometimes you're on a high and sometimes you're on a low. 
But I'm going to tell you what, the work of God gets done when you're fired up. Write this down, first of all, I think about, number one, how do you get this kind of zeal, this enthusiasm? First of all, you've got to see the holiness of God. You've got to see the holiness of God. Verse number one says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord set upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He saw these seraphims, these fiery ones, who were waiting on the Lord. And I thought about how sometimes we like to act like we've seen the holiness of God. But I think we need a renewing of that. Though this was a vision of a prophet in the Old Testament, I don't know that you and I, you and I are never going to see the, the, the real visage of God. I'm not saying that at all. But I think that you and I are able to understand that we serve a holy, a thrice holy God. Can I just say like this? God is trying to get your attention. You're, you're going to have to, like Isaiah, I'm going to show you in just a minute, you're going to have to get yourself into the, in the place where you can get a good look at God. Three things about this. I thought about, first of all, the timing of all this. The Bible says, that verse number one, that the timing of all this was in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah was allowed to become a prophet. This is when he first got started. In the last few years, someone said one time, the last 10 years or so of Uzziah's reign. He became friends with Uzziah as the preacher during that time. The Bible says about Uzziah that uh, he did something he shouldn't have done one day. He couldn't get the priest to come around, so he intruded the priest's office, the Bible says, and he offered incense that only God allowed the priest to offer. Now, that may not sound like a very big deal to you, but it was a real big deal to God. When we break the laws and commands of God, it's always a big deal with God. The Bible says when that happened, that God smote him with leprosy. So for the last few years of the king's reign, the preacher man had to visit him in a leper colony. This man became very endeared to the man of God. The Bible says here he died. One of the most sobering events in your life will be when somebody passes away. It's a time that God is working to get a lot of folks' attention. I just told your preacher a while ago, just driving down, since I left Murphy River this morning, we've had two folks pass away. I've got two funerals when I get back home. And I will tell you that it's the most tender time that a lot of folks will ever be involved in because it's so high on the human stress level. When someone passes away, it's an open door. And can I say, even with God's people. When someone passes away, it should be so sobering to us that we back up and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It may be my time to meet God. This is what Isaiah was experiencing. It wasn't just the king that passed away. It was a very close friend that passed away. I'm just saying it's times like this that God is trying to get us to take a look up and understand. He's the one that puts the breath in your lungs. He's the one that puts the meat in your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time we look to a thrice holy God. I think about the timing of it was at the timing of the king's death. I think not just that, it was a time of national crisis. If you go back and, and read the history of this timing, the Assyrian Empire had already crushed the sister nation Israel. Ten tribes of the twelve tribes, by and large, were either dead or in captivity. By the way, those ten tribes never came back out of the Assyrian captivity. The Babylonians, after 70 years, let some of Judah come back home. But they never, never did see those ten. Those tens were dispersed or killed. 
Right about the time that Uzziah died, that king of Assyria was plucking off the little cities all around the perimeter of Judah. And that's what God was looking for somebody to come and preach and tell Israel, get right with God. Don't be like Israel. Don't be like your sister nation. Give up your idols and trust God and do right. God was looking for somebody to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And ladies and gentlemen, we need people like that in America right now. America's going down the tubes fast. I know we have new leadership. I understand all that. But I, you and I know the die, the die has been cast. Jesus Christ is coming again. And I thought about how it was a time of national crisis. And now, not just the fact that Assyria had them surrounded. Babylon was getting their strength. And Babylon was getting ready to chew up Assyria and spit them out and take Judah captive. And all that, was, all that was just on the ramparts, ready to happen. Now the king dies. You just think what America would be like if our, leadership, if our leader died, the turmoil that America would be in. And I know how folks talk. I understand all that. But there's not a person in this room really wants that. Now the king's dead. You talk about getting someone's attention, look to God. How many of y'all remember, how, how many of you remember September 2001, September 11th, 911. How many of y'all remember that? How many, remember, how, many, how many of you remember where you were? Look, I know where, I don't have time to go into it tonight. I know where I was at. I know the sick feeling that came in my stomach. I know the patriotism that swept over me. I know that we filled up churches. We filled up altars. Folks are getting their heart right with God. You say, well, why? I'm going to tell you why. God has a way of getting our attention. That's how. See the holiness of God. You say, how are you going to get some enthusiasm back? How are you going to get that soul winning zeal back? How are you going to get back in the Word of God? It's time we see God in all of His holiness. The Bible says here, I believe this scene is cast in the temple of God. Good place to see the holiness of God. It's not that you can't see the holiness of God out in the mountains. I believe you can do that, but God intends for us to be in the house of God i got to move on, but we, first of all, you say, how do you get this enthusiasm? By the way, I, I, think, I think going to church is a good place to get fired up. I'm looking forward to some meetings coming up. we got our tent meetings going to start here in just about two weeks. We'll set up a big 1,200-seat revival tent out there. We've got preachers coming from, we got a guy coming out of Villa Rica, Georgia. They say he can shell the corn. We're going to find out. You know what? Well, I'll I tell our people, you're not going to get any enthusiasm if you sit at home and watch Barney Fife, and I love Barney. Man, when Andy Griffith died in North Carolina, I thought, man, my wife, I'd take a casserole over the house. That was awful. <laughs> See the holiness of God. It's a time of national crisis, a time when a friend died. It's a time that he was in the house of God. And by the way, God can fire you up tonight. I wrote this second thing down, not just that it's a time to see the holiness of God. You get your zeal like that, but see your own sinfulness. Think about that. See your own sinfulness. Now, I, I, I read about this in verse 5. He says, then I said, after I saw a holy God and I saw these seraphims flying around, that has scared the willies out of me. He said, I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Now, I read that and I thought, what in the world could this man ever said or done that would have been unclean? Or My mind starts racing. I don't know that the Bible says anything bad about Isaiah. But I will tell you something about Isaiah that all of us need to understand. He was a man of like passion such as you and I. He put his britches on one leg at a time. And he was a sinner saved by the grace of God, you might say, in New Testament terminology. 
And only God knows what goes through the thoughts of a human being's mind. And the words that come out of our mouth. And I'm going to tell you what, when you see a thrice holy God, there's a, your life will flash before your eyes. There are times in Scripture, about six or eight times, when mankind, when human beings were able to come in the presence of God, and every time they fell to their face, God started working on their heart. And I can only imagine the sins of Isaiah that started flashing around. And by the way, don't think of any evil, gross sin. It may have been this. When he saw God, maybe he thought, maybe he thought this, I wish I'd have praised you more. Or maybe he said, I wish I'd have read more about you. Or maybe he said, I wish I'd have prayed more to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what is in your life. But understand when you see yourself as a sinner that deserves a devil's hell. And Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and not one person deserves a bit of that. When you see you're on your way to heaven because of God Almighty sent His Son, it'll change things. Knock the pride right out of you. Byron Fox preached the other night at our church on pride, filled the altar up. One thing he said I could not get out of my mind. Of course, if you know Byron, I've known Byron for years, probably close to 25 years. And he said this. He has got that laugh. I don't know how much you've been around. He got that laugh. <laughs> it's an evil laugh. Now, he's the nicest man you ever want to meet, but if I ever heard him laugh in a dark alley, it would scare me to death. He was up there preaching, swinging sweat the other night. He said, let me just tell you one thing about pride. Hope you never forget. He said, pride just ain't even smart. Now, I don't have time to preach on that, but I'll just tell you that right now. That is the truth. Pride is a silly thing. We dignify it, but once you understand, this man had all the credentials in the world but he wasn't worth sending till he got his heart right with God and confessed his sin and got busy. He had an awakening. I think the, the typical American Christian today feels like they don't need to confess their sins. They don't need to ask God for forgiveness. I'm going to tell you this, you might be a pretty good person, but you all live too close to Atlanta, and if you drive into Atlanta traffic, I promise you, you need to hit the altar every now and then. Sometimes I wish my truck had an oak board on it about four inches thick and about ten inches wide. I wouldn't hurt nobody, but I'd move some folks out of the way, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> See the holiness of God. See your own sinfulness. And here's my last thought. Hear the commission of God. Amen. You're not going to hear the commission of God until you get your heart right with God and see God for who He is. I see here the call of God. He says, also, he said, in the, in the middle of all this, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? I, I do not know the crowd of people that Isaiah was able to see in that vision that day, but he was, he was as if he was saying, there's several he's asking. But only one said yes. Brother, I don't know if we've met or not, but you're the missionary to South Africa. Somewhere along the line, God said to you, who'll go? He was saying to a whole lot of people when He said it to you, but you said, I'll go. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God without repentance. That means this. You may change your mind someday, but God will never change His mind. I see not just that, but I see the culture He was called to the Bible says, the last part of verse number 5, he said, I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. 
Boy, that's the understatement of the year here in America. Now, I want you to understand that Isaiah really was not that successful a preacher because if you read verses 9 through 13, which I don't have time to preach on tonight, but he says, I'm sending you people, they're not going to listen to a word you say. But then I see the accelerant here, and that's the fire. When he got his heart right with God, got his sins forgiven, his iniquities purged. But he was ready. He was chomping it to be it. He was, he was back there, and, and now, now God's done showing himself. He's done confessing his sin. God says this. He said, now I hear a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And Isaiah's back there saying, hey, hey, here am I. Here am I. Send me. The Bible, someone says, some theologian said in the original, the phrase means, behold me. Look at me. Hey, I'm ready to go. I know who you are, God. I believe all the words said about you. I got my sins right with you. Lord, I am ready. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight, we need some folks that will genuinely see the holiness of God and genuinely confess their sins and get right with God. Be ready for God to say, here am I. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about devotion. I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about intensity. I'm talking about the fire from God. Can I ask you a question tonight? What excites you? What gets you fired up? I said this just the other day. I, I kind of had to balance it out. I thought I was going to lose my whole crowd. I, in just a few days, honestly, we're going to hear these words. It's football time in Tennessee. And I'm going to tell you what, when you hear those things, people go nuts. I mean, they dress in orange. Tennessee's the only place you can, you can go to a football game, work on the chain gang, and go hunting and wear the same clothes. They go nuts. And I'm all for it. Go Vols, you know. People, we got people in Alabama in our church. We have altar call once a year for them. And I said that the other day, something about the football time in Tennessee. No, I still think people ought to go to church just because it's football time. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just saying, where's your fire? Man, people paint their face orange going down the road. One part orange, one part gray. By the way, don't start doing that. I don't know what your church colors are, but don't start doing that here, okay? Someone shave a big W in the back of their head for Whitfield Baptist Church. <laughs> you get down to Alabama, we were down the other day preaching, and we're walking around, and these guys just walk around, and they say, roll tide, roll tide, roll tide, roll tide. They don't even know each other. Roll tide, roll tide, roll tide. It's just roll tide. <laughs> I don't know what fires you up. It may be, gentlemen, start your engines. I don't know what it is. It may be that big buck that came by your salt lick and you filmed him on your GoPro. I don't know. That'll fire me up. This time, we get to the place we don't let anything steal our zeal of God. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9. David's listening to his mighty men there. One of them is Eleazar, the son of Dodo. <laughs> don't you kids? Your daddy's not named Dodo, but anyway. <laughs> he had two other boys, Huzz and Buzz. <laughs> but he's listening to one of the three mighty men there with David. The Bible says this, said, 
when they defied the Philistines, that's important. When they defied the Philistines, one of three mighty men. He had several mighty men, but these are, this is one of the three bravest, valiant. One of those, one of those guys, I forget who it was, preacher, had, a, had several hundred men that could sling a stone, left-handed men that could sling a stone at hair breath. I remember a guy back in West Virginia, he could split arrows, hit the bullseye, and split the arrow that hit the center of the bullseye. It's, it's unbelievable people could do that. And to sling a stone at a hair breath? This one of these guys, and the Bible says, when they defied the Philistines, they were gathered together to battle. That the men of Israel were gone away. He was the only one left. He arose, listen now, and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave under the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Let me explain to you what that means. The Bible says this guy got so fired up, he was sick and tired of the Philistines defying Almighty God. About like David was, that when he was a little runt and took his sling, went down and hit that giant right in the head and cut his head off. By the way, how many of y'all believe it's in the Bible? Same bunch. Eleazar now, he's serving with David. All the other soldiers were getting weary, getting tired. He was tired too. The Bible says he wasn't going to let the Philistines get the victory that day. He pulled that sword out. He welled that sword all day long. And as he welled that sword, those guys would take those swords and they'd wrap those handles with leather and they'd wet them down and they'd wrap them again and wet them down. They'd wet them down tight. And they would do it in such a way where they'd be narrow on the top and narrow on the bottom and fat around when the fat of the hand was. And the Bible says that man's hand clayed the sword. What that means is he had got blisters and they burst and they bled and the blood coagulated and they burst again and they bled again and the blood dried up again and they burst again and they bled, and they dried up again. And by the end of the day, as he fought those Philistines, his hand clave to the sword. That means they couldn't prize hands from the sword. You say, what's that all about? I'm going to tell you how he got so fired up. He defied the enemy of God. It's time some of you moms and dads get mad at the devil. Do like my wife does every now and then. She'll stop the car and have him get out. She'll open up the door and have him give out. She'll whisper sometimes, and I'll start to say, shh, 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 shh. Whispered in my ear. I think she thinks the booger man's everywhere. She scares the willies out of me sometimes. There's a real, real live walking, talking devil, and he's never more successful when he makes you think he doesn't exist. He's more than some mascot on the side of a football helmet. The devil wants to rob you, your kids. It's time some of you daddies defy the enemy of God. Some of you mamas say, Yeah, we're going to defy the enemy of God. I'm talking about folks in the Bible got fired up. They got the work of God done. Hebrews eleven thirty two. and what shall I say more? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and all the prophets whom through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Talk about the people of God. Now listen. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned the flight of the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. 
Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, uh, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. That's our forefathers. They got the job done. Not because they sat on their leaves, but they had some enthusiasm. They had some raw bone passion. Where is the bus worker that says, I'm going to fill my bus up for God? Where's the Sunday school teacher that says, I'm not going to wait on the preacher to fire me up. I'm going to have God fire me up. Y'all remember hearing those stories you remember hearing those stories back where they said they didn't have no place for a Sunday school class, so they started a Sunday school class in the broom closet. And then they went to the, another bigger room, and then a bigger room, and then they moved down the buses. We actually had people back in Franklin Road that had, had Sunday school on buses. We had a lady who I buried just a few years ago. She had Sunday school underneath a big shade tree every Sunday and, uh, and because we didn't have room to have, have a Sunday. That was years ago. But where's all that gone? If I walked up to the average Sunday school teacher, they said, why don't you start a class of second grade girls and uh, don't have room for you, but you, get, you meet right in a big shade tree over there. They look at you and say, say seriously? They say, you screw your shoes on in the morning? It wasn't like that 20 years ago. People had some zeal. They had some passion. They had some devotion for Almighty God. Let's get her passion back. Somebody needs to take the sword of the Word of God and wield that thing till they can't pry your fingers off of it. It's a missing element today. Andrew Murray had the courage to tell one of the greatest preachers alive that day the enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing. Because there's little enthusiasm for the king. Could you imagine being in a great conference somewhere? The greatest preachers in the world preach. And you walk away and nothing happens. Nothing wrong was said. Right out of the Bible. But nothing happened. You know, somewhere we better figure out how to get the big wheel mixed up with the little wheel, as Ezekiel said. And kick this thing into gear and do something for God.